Good morning, church. Amen. I heard a, a story uh, one time about an old Jewish rabbi trying to uh, define how we got to call our God Yahweh. And I don't know if you ever thought of this. Where does the name Yahweh come from? I don't know. But, but he, he kind of had the idea of that when, when the early Jewish authors were, were thinking about the, the name of God, they, they had this idea of the way their patterns of their, of their breathing. Okay? And so for some of you guys, it's going to be really weird, and I apologize, but bear with me. They, they would say, the name of the Lord Yahweh is always on our breath. We would breathe in, and we would go, yeah. And then we would breathe out, and we would say, way. Okay? That's kind of strange, isn't it? That's okay. But what, they were, what the rabbi was trying to get at was trying to say that every breath that we take is, is from God. And God is the sustainer of our lives through his word. And I don't know if that does anything for you this morning, but uh, what we're about to enter in is, is a time of breathing in God's word together. And, and again, this is going to be a little different. Uh, a lot of you are asking me this morning, are you preaching this morning? Kind of. All right, not, not really, but kind of. And so um, what I want to challenge us today is to take some time away from, from the distraction, away from the, the games going on today, away from the, the work that's going to start this week, away from the, the lunch plans we have. I just want us to invite us into a time of breathing in God's Word and the power that that is in our lives. You know, um, I'm sure you've heard about this pandemic that we've been in for the past two years, and we've talked about it all the time, about how hard it's been, and the sacrifices that have been made, and the people who have been sick and hurting, and, and who have passed away from this disease. And I think sometimes as a church, we can get into this mindset of, let's come Sunday, and, and smile, and, and put on a great face, and we're doing great, and then in the car ride home, it, it's just not so great. Maybe, maybe you get maybe burdened and emotional from having to put on this face for church. I've definitely been there a few times. And so this morning, we're going to read some scripture, and it's going to be scripture that maybe we're not often reading. Uh, Lamentations, uh, for example, Uh, some psalms that that we don't usually go to in our time, but are necessary because one thing about scripture and one thing about the scriptures um, that have been given to us is that sometimes people are hurting. And sometimes the answer to that hurting isn't just saying, hey, be happy, put on a smiley face, right? Sometimes the answer to that is just a cry out to God in need. And so this morning we're going to cry out to God. First, I want us to start this time off with communion. And I'm sure a lot of you have already started grabbing your your communion cup and grabbing your bags and getting ready. But I want to challenge you to maybe slow down today. I want to challenge you into uh, the next 20, 30 minutes into that long of a time of communion. I want you to think about, as we're meditating on Scripture together, and I want you to to think and to pray, and then when you're ready to rest in God, you can take communion. I know that that sounds weird and could be challenging, but um, one of the things we're going to do today is just read Scripture together. I've got some guys who are going to come up here and read Scripture. We're not going to put it on the screen uh, what we want to focus on is just you hearing the Word of God. I, I encourage you all to turn off your phone. Um, if you want to do that right now, look, I'm going to do it with you. You see that? I'm going to leave it up here on stage so that you don't think I'm faking. I'm going to turn it on when I go back to my seat. But what we're going to do, um, we just want you to hear the Word of God. We want to hear the Word of God speak over you. 
and just let God speak into you and breathe life into you. Okay? Some of you guys were getting the communion ready and just thinking about the next step, thinking about the next song, thinking about the next prayer. But I want to challenge you this morning to just remain here. Maybe close your eyes when we're reading scripture together and just focus on the words that are being read to you. I want to read to you Psalm 46. Um, This is a beautiful psalm, but there's kind of a thing that we can do at the end if you'll bear with me. I want you to close your eyes this morning if you would. I want you to hear this psalm. I want you to hear the word of God rest over you this morning. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the vow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm going to pray, and then if you would, just, just have some time in silence. We're going to, again, read some scripture together and give you some time just to reflect. But let the word of God give you breath and give you life today. I, I know that there's anxiety in the room. There's anxiety of just turning off the phone, Right? There's anxiety about what's going on at work this week, what's going on in school this week. Just, just take a break. Just breathe and allow God to breathe into you his word, his healing word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray over this time. God, I pray you speak through your word this morning. Father, for some of this, this is, <laughs> this is really hard to, to stop to take a break, to be still. Wherever we are this morning, God, I pray you meet us there. I pray your word will give us provision. I pray you refuel us. Not that we can go and do our own thing, but so that we'll be filled with your word and go do your thing. Father, may we be still and know that you are God. May we be still and know that you are with us. May we be still and know that you give us life. Jesus, be with our time today, Father. We invite the Holy Spirit in. I pray over our speakers. I pray over this church that we will just be still and rest 
in your goodness, in your grace. Father, give us healing this morning. Father, be with us. May we be still and know that you are God. Amen. Since leaving Eden, one of the consistent markers of the people of God has been their cries of lamentation to the creator of the universe. From Abel's blood to the saints below the altar, laments echo throughout the scriptures and the fallen world. But although they are all throughout the scriptures, we rarely hear them in the church. We especially love to sing psalms of thanksgiving and praise, but what of the psalms of lament? Why do we avoid them? How can we look across the broken world with the likes of child trafficking and cancer wards and massacres of innocence not desire to cry out for it? The blood-soaked earth groans for release, and if we do not cry out for it, who will? Lamentations come from the wrestling God's people do with Him as they acknowledge the sovereignty that He has over all the earth while at the same time reconciling that the world is not as He would have it be. It emanates from deep down in the guts of God's people from the longing God, for their longing for God to set the world right. As the people of God, we must relearn how to how to lament, because praise and thanksgiving can only retain their authenticity uh, and naturalness as, after passing through lamentation. The psalmists do not reach a place of new life by denying their very real and very difficult and often very unjust circumstances, but precisely by voicing them. They do not avoid the darkness of the world, pretending that it doesn't exist, opting instead for happy songs. They instead recognize it for what it is and bring it to bear in emotional conversation with the one who spoke light into the darkness. The voice crying out in Psalm 22 is of the anointed of God, the representative of Israel and by extension all of humanity. He is being subjected to suffering by those who seek his life. One would think that being anointed by God, by a prophet of God, to be king would have resulted in something very different than this. Instead, he is subjected to the rage of the tyrant king of the present age in solidarity with his people. It seems the role of the anointed of God was never to skirt around the darkness of his people, but to enter into it with them and bear a burden that they could not bear themselves. He would not get to dodge the machine of human violence, which caused Habakkuk to exclaim, How long must I cry out and you don't listen? Instead, he is also crushed by the machine, and so he cries out. This devout believer of God is being torn apart because he cannot deny the reality of faith, nor can he reconcile it with the savage reality of life as he now experiences it. As I read this, I, I hope to be able to emphasize the shifts of the cries of the Lord's anointed. What begins as his expression of abandonment moves to recollection of God's past faithfulness and then back again into his present hopeless situation and then on into his shock of deliverance and concluding with the outflow of unhinged adoration. It is his remembrance on who God has been in the past which informs who God will be in the future. However, that remembrance of the past 
and faith in the future does not negate his very real and very present circumstance. It is through the lament and into the darkness that God speaks the light. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were rescued. And you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm. I'm not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in Yahweh. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me to trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan, they surround me. They open wide their mouths like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, and my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue, it sticks to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers, they encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. And they stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothings, they cast lots. But you, O oh Yahweh, do not be far off. You, O oh you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of, my tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise Yahweh. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to Yahweh, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship, it belongs to Yahweh, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him, 
shall bow all who go down to the dust of death, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Descendants will serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. When the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem or Judea and carried away much of the population in the 6th century B.C., some residents were left behind in terrible conditions in and around the devastated city. To express deep shame and grief over the destruction of their home, they wrote songs about the desolation and about the suffering that they were witnessing and experiencing. We don't know who wrote these songs, but many attribute these to Jeremiah. Whoever the author, they chose words carefully to really communicate deeply the emotions that they were feeling. Overall, this collection of laments reminds us that expressing anguish over a broken and fallen world is a legitimate part of the walk of a follower of God. As I read this, take time to consider what it would be like to feel that God had allowed or caused these terrible things to happen to you. The reading is from Lamentations chapter 3. And it's about the first half of this book. I am a man who has seen the affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He's made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, or like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became a laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in the song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. 
So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from, from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. I want to break right here in this reading. The words that were chosen show deep anguish and deep grief and remorse even. But I want you to notice this abrupt turn that comes right in the middle of this chapter, which also is the middle of the entire book of Lamentations. Let me go back and, and pick up the reading. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I would hoped from the Lord I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. My uh, senior year of college was, was a pretty anxiety-filled time. Um, getting a job is, is stressful, as a lot of you know. Um, but then when you're trying to get a job in something that you didn't study, and so you're going into interviews and reaching out to people like, hey, I know I'm not qualified for this in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but I really feel like this is where God wants me. Um, it makes it even more stressful. Um, but I remember very vividly one night, um, my senior year, was, it was close to finals week. I was working on finishing up this massive project that I wasn't sure what I was doing at all. And it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was trying to knock it all out. And, and I was frustrated because a book I was reading, I, I just really didn't agree with. Um, and... And I still had to write like a five-page paper on it. And it was just a nightmare of a time. Um, and I remember getting hungry. And I was a college guy, so I had frozen pizzas in my fridge. And it was 2 in the morning, and I didn't want to cook a frozen pizza. Because that's probably, if we're honest, all I had eaten in the past week. Um, and I remember just feeling this anxiety build up inside of me. And, and I've had a lot of panic attacks, and I knew something um, was about to happen. And... And so I hopped in my car, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go grab food somewhere and calm down, and the food will help me chill out and focus up, and I'll be able to finish all of this. And I got in my car and started my car, and, and it said it had zero miles left until I needed gas. And there was not a gas station close to my apartment. And so the anxiety starts building up more and more and more. Um, and when I get stressed, I call my mom because she's really good at, at, at talking me down. Um, but it was 2 in the morning, and my mom went to bed at like 8 p.m. 
And, and so my anxiety started building more and more and I had nobody to talk to, nobody to call out to. My roommate was asleep. I, I went to like four different gas stations and all of them were closed and the pumps were turned off. And, and I'm just waiting for my car to just stop in the middle of the road and for me to just be in the middle of Dallas lost, anxious and stressed. And I felt this anxiety build and build and build. Um, and, and at a red light, as I was hoping my, my gas could last just a little bit longer, um, I thought, okay, well, well, what would my mom have me do? Um, and the only thing that I could think was, was to just talk to God. That, that all of these things were going on, and I didn't expect God to magically fill my car up with gas so I didn't have to get gas, and I didn't expect him to, to miraculously have my paper written, and I didn't expect any of this, but what I wanted more than anything in this situation was peace and comfort. I wanted to chill out. And so when I was looking for, for a verse, that's, that's what I wanted to, to give you, is, is the comfort that we, we, we serve a God who is listening and this is Psalm 18, um, verses 1 through 6. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Do I matter? Do my titles add up to anything? Do the things I've done in my life measure up to anything? Am I worth anything? These are not questions just Christians ask. This is a question humans ask. Do I measure up? And there's a temptation to fool ourselves into believing that whatever we've done matters. Whatever we've accomplished, whatever titles we have, those are the things that matter. But Paul, when he writes to the church in Philippi, is writing to a congregation where there are problems because folks believe that the work they're doing matters or matters more than what somebody else is doing. They've fallen into the trap of trying to find their own significance. And so it seems good to the Spirit to do something that we're doing this morning, which is to talk about Scripture and hymns. And the Spirit inspires Paul to reflect on a hymn that appears to have been a part of the early church's worship. And I'm going to read that hymn. I'm going to read his lead up to that hymn. I'd like for you to close your eyes and listen to the verbs. And if you 
worry that you might miss the verbs. I'll accentuate them, I promise. But I want you to hear the emptying that happens. And then I want you to hear who brings the glory. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working with one another in one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Imagine others might be better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And here is where Paul begins reciting the hymn that the church has been singing. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now listen for the exaltation. And who does the exaltation? Therefore, God elevated him to the place of high honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under an earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Several years ago, um, we were interviewing for a youth minister. <clears throat> and that, uh, one of the candidates that we were interviewing was Nikki Fox, whom we hired. And um, she said, I, 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 I was new as an elder, and so I got to sit in on, on some of those interviews. And um, she said something <clears throat> in one of those interviews that had a very profound impact on me. Um, if you know Nikki, Nikki always has a smile on her face, like her whole face lights up, her whole demeanor lights up, um, like Kristen. Kristen always has a smile on her face. Um, but I remember as we were talking in this interview process, and I forget kind of how we got on this topic. I think we were talking about how you spend your time and what's important to you, or maybe 
what do you do in your extra time? Um, the smile went away from her face. And it wasn't a scowl, but it was a, a facial position of, I'm about to say something, and I need you to take this very seriously. And what she said was, I take a Sabbath day. And, you know, you have to imagine as a, a youth minister, you've got to be good at texting and be plugged into social media and being available. And, um, and I know as the, the son of a, a ministry person, they're really aren't a lot of off hours. You're, in a sense, on all the time. And that's a cost to count when you enter into ministry. But she said, I need you to know, talking to the eldership, I take a Sabbath day. And what that means is, I turn my phone off. And I spend that day with no one but God. And at that time in my life, and this is why it struck me so profoundly, in that time in my life, um, I had kids who were still in high school, and they were in sports and school play, and I was new as an elder, and I was very busy in my job, and life was just going 90 miles an hour for me. And I thought, I need that. I need that in my life. And I made a decision that um, I've got to make it a priority to take refuge in God. And so <clears throat> what I want to talk about some this morning is the thought of finding refuge in God. And if you look at Jesus' life, if you read through the Gospels and you uh, read through how he spent his time, you know, he had three years to do his ministry. Time is short. But Scripture is riddled with instances where Jesus took time away from everyone. To connect with his father. Now think about that for a second. Jesus, the son of God, who became a, a, a person, a human, and walked this earth and felt the things that we felt, but still, more than anyone that's ever walked this earth, understood who God was and what his connection to God was, and what God wanted, and he knew what God's plan was. He knew that better than anyone who has ever walked this earth. He understood it. But still understood the importance of taking time to find refuge in the Father. I've made notes of just a handful of instances in Scripture where Jesus did that. But like I said before, you can find as many instances as you want. In Mark 1, Jesus begins his ministry 
by going into the wilderness for 40 days. And you know, most of us are familiar with that story. And, you know, it, it talks about how he, you know, after being baptized, goes into the wilderness for a time of temptation. Well, what about me or us? If I knew that I was entering into 40 days of something that was going to be really hard and really challenging, I would really want people around me that could lift me up. And, I, you know, that's part of God's plan is to have people in our lives that can lift us up and get us through hard times. But Jesus, knowing he was entering 40 days of hardship, chose to do that with just him and God, knowing that Satan was going to come to him. And so while that was a time of physical struggle for Jesus, it was a time of incredible strength for him. If you look at his responses to the evil one during that time, you see incredible resolution and incredible conviction about who he was going to be and what his ministry was going to be. And that's the strength that he pulled from that intimate time with God. In Mark 1.35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went to a solitary place where he played, prayed. Luke 15.16 talks about how, Yet the crowds, uh, yet the news of him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Luke 6, 12 and 13, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Matthew 14 and verse 13, Jesus withdrew by boat to a solitary place. The crowds were following him, so he, he got in a boat. And, you know, this is his ministry. This is why he came to earth to minister to these people, but he craved and needed that solitude and that time with his father. And I find this interesting. He began his ministry with that 40 days in the wilderness. And he ended his ministry in Gethsemane. He had his closest disciples with him, but then went on further knowing what was in front of him to connect with his father. That's the son of God. The son of God who came and went to the cross for us and he was more connected to the father than any of us are understood the value of taking refuge in the author of all things. 
So why shouldn't we be that way? That is part of the great gift that is afforded us when we enter into a relationship with Jesus and, and, and have a relationship with God through Jesus. That God offers himself to us. Why do we cheat ourselves and not tap into the refuge that comes from spending time with you and your Father unplugged from the world and leaving your cares at the door? That is just one part of the great gift that God has given us. And life is so busy, and it is so fast, and it is, <laughs> I know, tomorrow's Monday, and when we blink, it's going to be Friday. I know that better than anybody. But when we rob ourselves of the value of taking refuge in God from everything from the week and all the burdens that come on us and all the things that run us into the ground, we're not hurting anybody but ourselves. We're shorting ourselves. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning. God is our rock. He is our refuge. One of my favorite hikes uh, is the hike from Craven's house at Lookout Mountain up to Sunset Rock. And if you've ever been up on Sunset Rock, it's an incredible view. But along that hike, it's about, a, I don't know, two or three mile hike, there is this, <clears throat> there is this rock the side of the mountain, and, and there's a, a, a cleft in the rock where several people can, can get into it. And, you know, those rocks have been there since the beginning of time. And um, I remember once Melissa and I were, were making that hike, and a storm came up on us. And we, and we just happened upon that spot, and we, we, you know, we got in that, and it's almost like a cave, you know. And the wind was blowing, and the Rain was sideways, and, you know, we did a really good job of checking the weather before we let out the house. We took refuge in that rock. I thought, this is like God. God is our rock. He is that refuge that we have every day, no matter what comes our way. And um, I saw a quote one time, and I'm sure I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to tell you kind of how it went. <clears throat> it said, sometimes God quiets the storm to comfort the child. Sometimes God comforts the child while the storm rages. That is his gift to us. Hey, I thank you guys uh, just for, for seeing through that. I know that was hard uh, for some of you, but if that was not enough for you, nothing will be. If God's word is not enough for you, I promise that nothing will be. And so take some time this week and be in God's word. Hey, we have uh, people here who love you, who want to pray for you for wherever you're at. Aren't we lucky and amazed to have a God that meets us where we're at? Amen. There's going to be elders in the prayer room, but hey, we're all here together. We're a church that, that serves one another. So whatever we can do for you, we will do. I just want to encourage you this week to dwell in God's word and let God breathe life into you wherever you're at. Let's pray together, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for your holy word.
thank you for the word that cleanses us, that gives us life. We thank you for the word that gives us an opportunity to cry out to you, to question, to ask why, God. But God, we pray that we will find answers, not in worldly things, but, but in the holy word of God that gives life. Father, be with us this week. May we be a church that breathes in your life and then breathes out the works of God so that we can serve our community and serve each other. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.